All right, this is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres, and I am your host. And our special guest, guest, excuse me, is Clint Kyles. Clint is the owner and host of the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. And I'm very thankful to have him here today because this type of subject is, is close to what cannabis and Christianity would, can do to people's ears when they hear it. Those two words together, cannabis and Christianity or psychedelics and Christianity, makes people really curious or it makes them repel. And uh, Clint started doing this, I believe, in 2020. He's going to tell us a bit more about it and how we got into it. And then we're just going to we're going to chat. But uh, so he's been doing this for a few years. And uh, I'm going to let him tell you more about what he's doing with his podcast. So, Clint from Texarkana, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Miguel. And I really appreciate you asking me to join you today for a conversation. I've been uh, listening to your podcast for maybe a month or so and uh, digging into the episodes. Um, I really enjoy the just the organic nature of your conversations and uh, how you just have real, real people, you know, just uh, chewing the fat and, and telling their stories. And and uh, it's it inspires me to keep doing what I'm doing. Right on, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. So how did you come to make the decision? Actually, let me put it like this, Clint. We were talking about this beforehand and and uh, we want to cover some territory in our conversation. So what was going on in your life when you decided to make the decision to launch this thing called the Psychedelic Christian Podcast? That's a great question. Um Someone asked me recently, it might, it might have been you even, um, in correspondence, was, you know, the COVID situation uh, related to me starting this? And I don't, I don't know, I guess it might have been, um, you know, because of, of all the, you know, the shutdowns and things like that, I guess I had a little more free time on my hands because um, I was on and off work because, you know, anyone who was exposed would have to take off and I work in a big factory with lots of people and so it was not unusual for you know people to get exposed to each other and out of precaution you know they would you know they would have us take off so as not to spread and such and so I did have a lot more off time um but I didn't feel like that was a catalyst because I had been interested in in the topic of how psychedelics and Christianity have any kind of overlap or combat compatibility or lack thereof for for years i've been trying to make sense of that because probably i don't know maybe around the year 2017 2018 i stumbled upon a few podcasts that were speaking about psychedelics regularly uh one of which was Lorenzo Haggerty's podcast, The Psychedelic Salon. And one day I was at work and uh, I have kind of a repetitive factory job. So I listen to a lot of audiobooks, a lot of podcasts. And um, I'm usually listening to sermons or podcasts on history or things of that nature. I know and what I you mean. Making the most making the most of the time. Making the right, most of right. the time. Yeah. Hey, that's where I get my education, you know. So I know what you mean. That that those those pockets of time are really valuable. 
and you can fill them with your choice. Mm-hmm. And and that's I don't know. I find you know I find that I find a lot I a lot more people doing that these days. Right. They, uh, it's not just music, and it's not just looking at a a, a screen or a game or a, a show. It's actually putting some type of content into your ears and your mind intentionally. So, sorry, man. But it, no, that's fine. That's I agree one hundred percent. The the advent of podcasting and audiobooks. Um, I have to say, without any reservation, it, it's absolutely changed my life because um, I don't have the time to sit for hours on end reading books. I really wish I did or blogs. I can't sit and read blogs all day. I know what you mean. But while I'm going about my daily activities, I can usually or driving in the car or working around the house, I can always keep an earbud in and be listening and learning and enjoying, you know, content that uh, stimulates my mind and my spirit. And so it's been a godsend to me. And I hope that what I'm providing is doing that for others. So anyway, uh, long story short, I'm listening to a podcast and I'm listening to Terrence McKenna. And he's he mentioned something about, you know, he was, I guess, kind of dogging on the church and religious, you know, structures and things of that nature. And I thought, hmm. And I'll get to this in a minute because I had experiences in my youth with psychedelics. I always, and because I'm a Christian, I never saw those things inherently at odds with each other, but I did see most people in the psychedelic movement were at odds with structured religion and Christianity in particular. And I understood that because, you know, the mostly due to the war on drugs and kind of like Western Protestant culture, um, I think that's the main reason. How that stuff, how how that, I, I, I think I have an understanding what you're talking about. And, and um, when you have a nation that is the great, I I will, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but it it is, it is the greatest nation on the planet. And, um, and the value system for its governing doctrine is our Judeo-Christian values. And that does not, that, you know, I was talking, you know, the funny thing, I was talking about uh, separation of church and state with, with somebody yesterday or no, two days ago. And, and that's where I think a lot of it starts. You see what I'm saying? That's where it starts. And then, then you have all the various avenues that people come up through in life and they run into a system that has those values, but it's not treating them very well. And it's unfair. And there, because there is injustice in this world, and I and I understand what you're saying. Where um, a lot of people have negative opinion of Christianity. Sorry, Clint. Go ahead. I I just want to chime in there, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand 100. So I'm listening to this podcast, and I'm thinking there must be a Christian out there, a pastor or somebody maybe who, who grew up in the sixties or seventies and had some experiences with psychedelics and maybe they're talking about it, you know? So I started searching, you know, Christianity and psychedelics, uh, Christian views on psychedelics, you know, uh, pastors who talk about psychedelics. I just, 
I found very little information out there and very, and almost none of the kind of firsthand Christian accounts of their own experiences that I was looking for. And I was okay. I didn't, I didn't care if it was, if it was pro or con, I just wanted to hear a Christian talking about psychedelics and, and I couldn't really find much out there. So I wrestled with that for a while. Um, but it wasn't like I was a public person. I wasn't used to public speaking. I wasn't used to recording myself. I didn't have a microphone. I didn't, you know, know how to make a YouTube video. I didn't, I was just, I was just I a see, dude, you know? You're there now though, man. I see your setup there. I see your setup. I was like, oh, he's got, he's got a setup there. That's nice. <laughs> so I, then I had to go like, then I had to, so before I even committed to doing that, I started researching like how to make a podcast, you know, and all the things. And that was a, a long road. And I finally figured it out thanks to uh, YouTube. And, but then, I, but then maybe what you're getting at is that, that timid, like, how do you broach this subject? Like, right. how do, how in the world am I going to introduce my fellow Christians to the topic of psychedelics? And how on earth am I going to, talk about psychedelics without marginalizing myself and and seeming like some kind of uh you know drug addicted weirdo you know to all of my christian friends it's a funny place to be it's a right. funny place to be I, I think you can probably sympathize <laughs> i can so so i started reflecting a lot on my youth so i grew up in southwest arkansas um you know, Gen X kid grew up in the eighties and early nineties. We didn't have the internet, you know, we didn't have basically any information you got on drugs, quote unquote, was from either your crazy cousin or from the local cop who stopped by the school, you know, once a year to do the drug and, you know, this is your brain on drug speech. And so. Hold on, click. There's something else. Mm -hmm. I, I apologize to interrupt, man. No worries. You know what? Because because it's a conversation, man. That, that's that's the way. That's that's my that's I'm a Gen Xer too, and you know where else we got that information from? Television and yeah. cable and cable television because cable television was coming on in the 80s. There was no cable television until the 80s, and when you got that, you got more content to view and listen to, and if they're going to put that content on there and it's brand new and it's very valuable to get those channels, they're going to put on content that, you know, it's going to be colored however it's colored, right? So right. that music, and then you have music, the stuff we listen to all the time. You can't go into a store without hearing something, right? Those things deliver messages. And believe it, I mean, I think you do believe it. I think you understand what I'm saying when I'm going to say this, is that they deliver messages from artists and and uh creators that are on drugs and they're talking about drugs i mean this is this is what blows my mind about how the rolling stones and the beatles can be so big and they're some of the biggest drug abusers right. socially accepted and celebrated it's a weird type of mix yet when you do this with religion it does. It does have that thing. Sorry, man. I had to say that because, you know, when you said that, yeah, Gen X came up in the eighties and nineties. You know, we didn't have the internet. That is a huge thing because I got three sons now, and and they can access information 
all the time. It's it's very you know the encyclopedia. I'm sure you had an encyclopedia kit, right? The encyclopedia. <laughs> we, we, now we didn't have the Britannica. Oh, time. that's had, exactly what I was thinking of too. We, we had the, the knockoff. We had the knockoff version, whatever that was. That's exactly <laughs> the version I was thinking of, and that was a freaking. Those were volumes by the letter. Some letter had more than one book because there was that much information from it. That was how, that was our internet. That, that was, our was internet. that's how we called it. Right. You know what I mean? So sorry, man. Because those those <laughs> I I think the the importance of images and and words messages that we allow into our minds. It happens all the time, and sometimes we're not even paying attention to it, and those messages are getting in, and we're wondering why we're thinking about something. Right. And I bring that up, and it's important for us to discuss that a little bit, because maybe to a younger audience, maybe the people who are now in, their, say, their 20s, and they're listening to you and me have this conversation right now, you know, they, they don't have a reference point for that. You know, it's not like, I mean, if your parents or your pastor or your school teacher told you something, you didn't have any way of vetting that information. But, you know, now a kid goes to school and their teacher says, uh, tells them something. They can hop on their notebook right then and and like Google that and and at least hear um, the various opinions that are available. You know, they're not just subject to one source of information. And we, we didn't have that luxury, you know, back in 1995 or whatever, when uh, someone first passed me a joint, you know, so. So I had to make a decision right then. Do I believe um, the local sheriff? Do I believe my parents and my pastor? Or do I believe this guy who's handing me a doobie? Uh, <laughs> you know, the way you say it, just right there, it seems like the answer should be clear, right? Uh, That's what's funny about it. That's what's funny about it. That's what's funny about it. I trusted the dude handing me a doobie. I That's I figured you did. <laughs> That's why I thought it was funny. That's why I'm like, it's a weird thing. And right. that's the that's the effect of stigma. And that forever altered, like, my conception of the truth being handed down to me. You know, I had to start weighing it with, like, my own conscious interpretation of the world I was witnessing. But also questioning, you know, whether that was correct. I mean, when, when all the authority structure tells you something, even if you find holes in it, you shouldn't wholesale reject it. I mean, right. because this is like distilled information that's been handed down for generations. You know, you shouldn't. Um, I get I, it's a cliche, but I'll use it because a lot of people can understand it. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Exactly. Exactly. Because fences go up for reasons. Now, I'm not saying the fence around marijuana and psychedelics is good. I'm not saying that at all. Because those things were obviously legal and then chosen to be made illegal intentionally. But I'm going. I'm speaking to your point about when you said, "Well, I don't want to throw wholesale, throw this whole thing out because there's some knowledge that's been coming down, and there's something of value in it." And that is a distinction that I think, I and I hope more people are making in this 21st century, where everybody and even me included. ADD sometimes. I don't really have an ADD. I'm just saying we can act like that though. And, and he just said I do. And but you know what I mean? It's like these the, the 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 technology we're getting accustomed to at an earlier and earlier. And it always happens. You know, it's it's nothing new. It's been happening. But when you when you when you breach the millennia, and you have nine eleven, 
right afterwards, one year after the millennium. And then 20 years later, you have a pandemic. These things matter and how people think and comprehend and view the world around them, all the presuppositions like you were talking about. And this is what's really interesting about this because you're doing this pretty young. Yeah, uh, I guess I was, I guess I was 16 when, uh, when I took that first pull off Adobe, you know, um, now I had, I'd already, now I was in a place where people were, were drinking because I had, you know, also started experimenting with alcohol at that time, but, you know, I was raised in a, and you probably asked me about this later, but just to give a quick context, I was raised in like a Southern Baptist household, you know, in Southwest Arkansas. So it wasn't like, and I, I grew up in the country, you know, a little rural school out in the country. Um, so I was, it wasn't like there was a huge drug culture, like in the city or something like that. It wasn't like I had access to going to raves and nightclubs or any of that jazz. I mean, you know, we were, <laughs> you know, like we were drinking Budweiser at the deer lease, you know, that was kind of like our, you know, weekend, you know, parties. And um, so that's, that's where I intersected with things like cannabis and psychedelics. And then, so at that point I had to kind of like make sense of all that. So here are people that I know and trust using cannabis and now I've just used it and I'm not experiencing anything negative from it. So how do I internalize that and make sense of it within this paradigm I was raised with? So I had this for a couple of years, I probably had this kind of dichotomy, you know, between being the Sunday morning Baptist kid going to youth group and then the kid on Friday night who's, you know, uh, hitting the bong loads. So it's like, I had to kind of like make sense of that. Is that right? Is it wrong? I don't know. Um, so there were a lot of mixed feelings probably during those years in regard to that, but I could not in no way um, view the things that quote unquote had been described as drugs and the people as inherently wrong or evil or bad, you know, so I had to start making sense of that. And I probably didn't do a good job of it, you know, trying to make sense of it, but I, I did the best I could with the tools I had available. That's what we all try to do. Right. So don't go and, hard on yourself, man. I'm yeah, sorry. <laughs> I've, I, I've, I've long since forgiven myself for youthful foolishness, you know, um, cause I had plenty of it, but at one day, um, I was at a friend's house and he was, he, he had studied up on these things. I mean, he used to go and get books from the library about mushrooms and about, you know, 1960s culture. And so he was a bit of a, you know, a researcher. I was more of a, you know, just a bumpkin who, you know, just showed up at the parties and, you know, decided what to do. <laughs> so I was hanging out with him one day and he said, Hey man, uh, let's go out in the cow pasture and look for shrooms. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I heard, I'd heard about them. Sure. And so he had this book that he had gotten through like an interlibrary loan. See our, our hometown library didn't have books on mushrooms. So he had to like request a volume sent from another public library to this one. So we could access this. And yeah, it's so kinda, we got, we're out. Kind of wild. That, the it's kind of wild that they was actually able to do that. Yeah, yeah, that was the internet too back then. Yeah, uh, so we're out walking around the field with this. Uh, I can't remember what the name of those books were. They had they had them on birds and reptiles, and it was the Audubon Society. That's what it was. They produced 
these volumes on like vertebrates, invertebrates, you know. I remember, I remember, I remember something like those. Yeah. I'm not sure well, if I'm thinking one, the exact same thing, but I know what you, I can think, I can, I remember growing up with it. Well, they had one on mushrooms, fungi, and things of that nature. And so it had descriptions of each one and usually a picture to go along with it and like an identification guide. And so we, we found a bunch of cubensis, you know, and, and uh, I've told that story before. We can link to that or people can hop on my podcast and hear all about those adventures. But so I had all that in my youth. And then about the time I was graduating high school, I, I met my now wife of 24 years. And I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I've got to like create a sustainable lifestyle. Like, cause I want to have like a marriage, a family, you know, career such as that. So I really didn't know what else to do. So I just kind of shelved all the partying and the psychedelics and the cannabis so I could get a, you know, a good job and, and start making money and, you know, so on and so forth. And, uh, and so that's what I did. I worked hard, went to church, settled down, raised a family. And that was like, you know, 20 years of my life right there. And then fast forward to what we began the discussion with, the beginning of the podcast, I'm there at work listening to Terrence McKenna. And I've got, I'm thinking, I know there's something here Christians need to talk about or know about. And so I didn't know anybody. I didn't know who to reach out to, what to do. I just recorded that first episode on my phone, just sharing some thoughts and not really having any direction for the podcast. And then I just began reaching out to people. And I heard about this research study going on at Johns Hopkins and New York University, uh, the psilocybin for religious leaders study. Oh, oh really? Okay. I was thinking uh, just psilocybin for PTSD. No, this was specifically for religious leaders. And that, that study is wow. due to be released, I thought, in September. But it looks like it's going to be October. And, uh, you know, God rest his soul. Uh, one of the major leaders of that study was Roland Griffiths, who just passed away yesterday or the day before. So that may um, defer the release of the study. I don't know. What was What was the intent of the study? I believe the intent of the study was to, so everyone, or not everyone, most people who have a psychedelic experience would classify that as one of the most important spiritual experiences of their entire lives. But all these people are lay people usually. So they thought, what if we got religious professionals who have never had a psychedelic experience allow them to experience it and share their experiences. Would people who are religious professionals, who have a degree in theology, who have a religious framework, who have the vocabulary capable of describing the nuances of religion, you know, in a contextual way, and how would they describe psychedelic experiences? And so they managed to get um, some rabbis, some Christian pastors and priests, some uh, Buddhist monks and teachers. I don't. I don't believe there were any um, Islamic participants. And any Hindus? I'm not sure. I just I'm can't. not certain. I'm not certain. Um, 
I don't know if the Hindus, I mean, they're already pretty psychedelic, so I don't know. <laughs> a lot of religions, a lot of religions are, <laughs> and that's what makes this stuff interesting. So, so I just started reaching out to people. Uh, I managed to find a few of the people who maybe had been public about being a part of that study. And then, you know, you meet one person then then they refer you to another. And ev eventually I like, I got this snowball rolling, you know, and then I was able to find people. And, but also while I'm doing that, unbeknownst to me, there's also this massive surge of interest going on. And so, although I think my fellow Christian brethren are a little behind the curve in, in this discussion, um, the rest of society is, is really like on board with under, you know, trying to understand what this is all about. And then you have, you know, major platforms like Joe Rogan and people like that who are talking about it all the time. And so that stirs up public interest. And so it, 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 over time it became, you know, easy to find other Christians who were willing to talk about, you know, their experiences or at least their thoughts on um on psychedelics and that's where i am today and so you started in 2020 right uh yeah i believe i believe i recorded that first episode like around november or december 2020 and then i think i released it maybe in february or march of 2021 i think right on so how would you explain your view of psychedelics, both natural and man-made? Well, to be um, completely honest, I've, I've only personally experienced the natural ones. Um, I used cannabis a lot in my youth, and, and I think uh, at the right dosage, that's pretty psychedelic. And I've used uh, psilocybin mushrooms. So I've never used a synthetic psychedelic. Okay. I don't, I am really comfortable. Hmm. I don't know if that's the right word. I, for, for, for whatever reason, God put the natural ones here. I agree. I don't know why, but they're here. So Finding a way to make use of those in a responsible, holistic way, I don't have a problem with. Um, and I also, just like I wouldn't be opposed to taking a pharmaceutical if it if it happened to meet whatever my current need was, I also don't discriminate against synthetic psychedelics. But I do think once humans start tinkering with something, they can um, steer it in maybe in a in a positive or negative direction. So um, I don't want to belabor that point, but I think I think you understand what I'm saying is. Yep, I do. We we have a tendency to take something in nature like uh, coca leaves, which people in indigenous societies have used for a long time, uh, similar to the way we use coffee or tea, and that that to me seems like a healthy holistic way to incorporate. A substance into your life and but when we go to refining things and making it where like a tiny thimble full of powder can have this like radical influence over your body and your emotions i i'm not kill, saying and, and and literally kill you okay yes it, it has a potential it has a potential to it kill and that's the thing about i get what you're saying go ahead 
is is dangerous. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but I am saying it takes on a whole new level of uh, concern and responsibility once we start concentrating things. You know, it it, it has the potential to go awry. Is all and, I would say. And I said that because you you were saying I, to 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 your point that you said you know when when humans get involved, we take something and we have the potential to make it positive or negative, and usually. I'll put it like this. So you got that plant, the coca plant, because cocaine is big now. You, we came up in the 80s, right? So in Miami Vice, that was the top, that was the top Friday, oh. or I can't remember Friday or Saturday night show, but that was my that was it, man. I mean, these characters and these these characters and the stigmas that they portray, they carry on. The vehicle that the the entertainment vehicle or whatever the the content vehicle it is. The concepts and the stigmas carry on. So, so going from the 80s where cocaine was a big deal. And, and, and uh, you know, um, I haven't talked with this guy probably since high school. But he has been, uh, he's a lawyer. And he has, uh, he's publicly made some differences in how the war on drugs in the 80s is different than the opioid crisis in the new century right so it is it is funny how human it's not funny i it's i it's um now nah, it's it's sad it, it's sad and it's telling of the human condition that's a better way of saying it it's sad and telling of the human condition when we when we take something like a plant leaf that won't kill you and turn it into something that'll kill you and make you crazy along the way and and you know what? Growing up in the eighties and the nineties, I mean, look, I mean, it's it's cocaine is a different thing, and that's and I say that because you, it came from a natural plant, right? You made that point, and and that is important point to make because the mushrooms are naturally growing, just like cannabis and just like that coca leaf and just like other things in this world. Mm-hmm. And I just had to make that point, man, because it's uh it's it's nice having a conversation with another Gen Xer. From Arkansas, <laughs> it was a you know it was an interesting time to live. I, I mean, I, I I don't take it for granted. I'm I'm glad I was able to experience a life before the internet, and then experience this life that we live now, and see the I can see the contrast, and I can see the the benefits of both. We've um, crossed we've crossed centuries, and we've crossed millennia, Clint. Mm-hmm. And it is fascinating to be on both sides of it and to see what it was like before what it has turned into and what it looks like it could present to the future. It is a fascinating, that is what Gen X has done. We've crossed the centuries at an age where we're not labeled as senior citizens. Cause you know, you got, you got a bunch of baby boomers that are still alive right now too. I mean, they've crossed it also and it's just different. It's different for people at different points of their life but it is a fascinating point that you make about that we we've and it is interesting to have experienced without you know what i mean just without and then with and i'm talking about internet and all of the the handheld the handheld right. uh you know the, the, you got a handheld tv that can go around the world and that can go around the freaking world right. it's like yeah that was stuff of that was jetsons mm-hmm. you know what i mean that was the cartoon jetsons 
yeah. then you had that cartoon juxtaposed to the Flintstones. Right. You know what I mean? It's a funny way to think. It's, and then, then you think about these things as we grow up and all the content that comes out to kids now. We used to have to wait till Friday nights to get a movie released, right? It right. was Friday night. Friday night, Hollywood rolled it out. Now, just like satellite internet and satellite television, and I'll even use this Bruce Springsteen song because I'm not a fan of Bruce Springsteen. I'm not. But uh, that song, 500 channels on, and there's nothing on. He wasn't he wasn't kidding. Now content is rolled out every day and a lot of it is garbage. You know what I mean? When you look at I mean Netflix, all this stuff is kind of like, who wants to watch all that crap? It looks completely violent and it looks like it leads you down to a path of self-destruction. I don't I've know. That's 40, just, I've spent 45 minutes scrolling through Netflix only to throw the remote down and walk away. Dude, I've done it <laughs> because too, there's man. nothing. I'm like, I forget know. it. I'm not, I've wasted all my time to watch something, looking for something decent. You know, so. It is ridiculous. And that's, that is, the, you know what I'm saying? We went from the cable, mm -hmm. we went from the, we went from the turn the knob on the TV to the cable box where you have the, the, the different rows and columns, the three rows mm -hmm. and all the many columns and you, you top, middle and bottom and all those buttons. To now, this stuff is just boom, right there. The child can access it easily. It's fascinating, man. Fascinating. It's a very interesting point. I didn't mean to interrupt, but you made that point, and I had to say something about it because I think too many people forget or don't question what life would have been like without. Well, I don't think we'd be right here, you know, culturally having this conversation about psychedelics if it wasn't for. The ability to have mass communication unrestricted by the powers that be like 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 we have now, because that that conversation would have stayed in the basements and the backyards of, you know, quote unquote, ne'er-do-wells. It never would have made it into the ear earbuds of Christians, you know. So it's like the ability to understand each other. Even if we disagree, like that, that's huge. Like, because I mean, throughout history, your enemy was the person that everybody in society told you to hate. You never heard from them. You never heard from the other side. So now we have the ability to actually hear the voices of people that we're supposed to disagree with or hate or, or whatever. We we can actually hear long form discussions of these people sharing their views. And, and, and that gives us the opportunity to kind of chew on that. And maybe we agree, maybe we disagree, but at least we're able to hear from each other. You know, in the past, we were kind of led around like, like farm animals and just, you know, taught to, um, you know, just bifurcate ourselves from others based on skin color or language or whatever. And, um, for better or worse, I think we're entering a new a new paradigm where we can we can associate with people who share our values, regardless of whether the, where they come from or what their you know their country or religious origins are. So it's fascinating, and it's but it it comes with its own set of challenges. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't know if I ever fully answered your question. I think I might have about like the difference between the natural and the synthetic. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, you you did perfectly. Actually, I, I'll do, I'll recap it for listeners in case you, they they don't recall it. Okay. 
you see the mushrooms as naturally they're god made you don't discriminate against the synthetic right and that was it now that doesn't necessarily mean everything god made is something we should eat you know i mean uh on a regular basis you know i know I know it's a fun, you know it's a funny thing that I know that the fact that you even said that that thought that pops in your head whoa now you're not giving a green light for everybody to just go wild because that's well I'm what, anticipating everybody's reaction. right I know and that's what's funny that's what's funny about Christianity and the concept of grace and who Jesus is because that is exactly what Paul was trying to get across to people when he said if you introduce the law to them again. You're putting a yoke on them that we can't even bear. Right. And you are, well, I won't say you are. I say you're putting a yoke on them that they can't bear. And then opponents of grace came in and said, what, you're saying you can just do whatever you want and you're going to be just fine? Really? That's the message you have of love and grace, Paul and all you people? It's it's a twisted thing. and And it's an interesting way that we learn how to understand it throughout the passages of our lives. Go ahead, Clint. I'm sorry, man. No. I, I, oh, I we, we okay. <laughs> no, no. All right. I wasn't sure if I, yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, you get going and I was like, maybe he still had something else to say right there. I wasn't <laughs> sure. So, um, so when it came to the, uh, the, um, the grace part of it, and you said, oh, yeah, well, I'm not saying it's for everybody and everything that grows is, is uh, you know, everything we should do. It's a funny thing. And I bring this up because you and I are both believers in Christ. And Paul said, the Apostle Paul said, if you put the law in front of people, it stirs sin up. And he's talking about the Ten Commandments, right? The Big Ten, not the ancillary. He's talking about the Big Ten. He's saying, if you put it in front of it, it's like having a cup of water with a bunch of dirt at the bottom. It's all settled. And you take the spoon and you stir the water. And now the water column is all has now there's dirt in the complete in the whole water column. He's saying that's what the Ten Commandments does. And it's not because the Ten Commandments are evil. It's because they're designed to show human beings that we cannot perform our way back into acceptance or love. It's impossible. That's the way I view it. I'm not sure how you view it. So that's, but it sounded, you know, like you might have a similar view when I heard you make that comment. Cause I was like, oh, I understand that. Because whenever you say, yeah, I think cannabis is good. And I think it's, it's, it's made for people. And then that thought kind of pops in your head and say, oh, be careful now. Don't, <laughs> don't give a license. Don't give a license. These thoughts come into our heads because we care. Mm -hmm. right. We care. We care about the, the, the weight of our words. And we don't want to go off and appear to be foolishly, con, you know, foolishly condoning something, and right. or foolishly, Le con, right? And, and so I understand contributing to the delinquency, right? <laughs> right. That's exactly my point. So, <clears throat> so I understand where that thought comes from. I, I just want to make that point because you know we, we do have similar conceptually. Our podcasts are similar. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. Yeah. That's why I, I kind of resonated with yours. Uh, it's just, and I think Christians have been taught to avoid topics that might associate them with negative cultural, you know, em embodiments, you know, things that culture views as, as negative. Uh, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, I was, and, and you probably were too, I was just, I was such a 
you know, a fan of rock music. I just loved it. I mean, it was, I was steeped in the doors and Zeppelin and the Grateful Dead and, and, you know, Pink Floyd. But even though you said those things were kind of celebrated by culture, it's almost like within the Christian community, there was definitely a tedious balance in appreciating those things. It's like our parents, our boomer parents who grew up listening to that, that was all like, yeah, that was fun back in the day, but you're not supposed to listen to that. You're supposed to listen to this Christian pop garbage. And uh, <laughs> sorry for anyone who's into Christian popular music. Hey, I, you but, know, it's okay. It's, hey, that's just what you like. If that's the music, that's right. I, some of it isn't for me either. I find it to be a little too breathy. <laughs> they just seeming a little. They sing the singing is just a little too breathy. And uh, not all of it. There's a lot of songs I do like, but the breathiness, ah, I just can't get past that sometimes. <laughs> Uh, me too, brother. But I, I'm not discriminating against anybody's you know musical choices. But it, for me, it, it was more like a cultural thing. Like if you're associated with that, if you're wearing a rock T-shirt, that kind of puts you in a certain camp of people. And and so I, I even had almost like the same difficulty, you know, being a Christian while still appreciating this music that some people considered, you know, like the devil's music or something. So I guess I approached you know, the topic of psychedelics in the same way. How can we as Christians, uh, at least at, at the bare minimum, investigate and make sense of how these substances and practices should or should not be a part of the Christian or human experience? And so that, in a nutshell, is what I hope to achieve, not to arrive at a conclusion, but to just allow Christians to to have an open minded discussion about the topic. And I've I've invited people who despise the use of psychedelics and I've invited people on my show who incorporate psychedelics into their religious practices as Christians. So um, I'm probably somewhere in the middle on that. Um, I, I call myself cautiously optimistic. Um, because I think like anything else that humans interface with in a, in a substance way, be it coffee, nicotine, um, you know, all the various pharmaceuticals that people use. Um, I think it, I think it boils down to intention and whether or not that substance or practice is a wedge between your relationship with God and other people. Um, I think we've all known someone who used fill-in-the-blank substance, and it's obvious that that was somehow a negative aspect to their lifestyle. Um, and then I know people, personally, good Christian people, you know, ladies who sing in the choir, you know, um, families who show up to church, you know, without fail on Sunday and nobody knows it, but these are cannabis users, you know? And so I can't see how that's a negative impact on their life. I know people who have debilitating medical concerns and cannabis allows them to be alleviated of their pain and appears to be treating their condition in a holistic way. So 
But I also know people who are just burnouts and all they do, all they think, say, and do has is about a plant. Like, I mean, cannabis is a beautiful plant, but man, there's like more to life than like just your incessant worship of this plant. Um, why not give a little credit to the creator of that plant, you know, maybe start a relationship with him, you know, and that might actually buffer this negative relationship you have with the substance. Oh, I'm glad you said that, Clint. I'm glad you said that because that is a big point that I think um, all of us fall into throughout some point in our life. And that's a talisman. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like, and it, it doesn't have to come from anything religious. It, it, people make talismans out of things every single day because, and I think this is, and, and I and I do believe this, is because they feel the weight of who, of their value. I think that is exactly why we do that. We feel the weight of our value, but somehow we don't quite really believe it. So we make these ways that kind of, kind of like trick us into getting back into that value. And that's what I think a talent, that's what I think many of us do with, with many things, make them a talisman. And, and, and that's, what's interesting about, about uh, this life and pain and relief justice injustice health and is these things do provide relief they do provide relief and it's significant and and it's, it's it can no longer be denied and when it comes to the psychedelics and the mushrooms you know i've had guests on i'm thinking of one specific guest daphne o'brien her daughter out of there she's out of indiana and uh her daughter had uh multiple iatrogenetic iatrogenic injuries so basically doctor caused injuries for one from drug one from birth and one from drug and she went through hell on earth with with uh prescription drugs psychiatric prescription drugs and her daughter ended up her i think if i recall correctly she ended up going through a divorce and mushrooms could have been used instead of psychiatric drugs that are man-made. And this is where I find the application of, of, uh, of the mushrooms, psychedelics, very interesting because I don't see messages of saying, I, I, see, I see more messages saying, stop drugging kids with harsh psychiatric drugs mm -hmm. then i then i do messages saying keep drugging kids with harsh psychiatric drugs because it works i hear the opposite and i see the opposite not just in video and print and audio but in people and that's what's interesting about the mushrooms is that the mushrooms you know why were they made illegal why was marijuana made illegal when they were both accepted because they are what God made them to be. And that is to help us on this earth. Because it is fallen. And we will have troubles as he says. And he says, but take heart for I have overcome the earth. I have overcome the world. And that's what's that's where I, I, I when I think about the mushrooms. And and, uh, and of course, I'm a veteran too. I did a career in the military. And, I, and when you brought up John Hopkins, I was thinking a, a guy I know. I saw him this past summer. He's on a 
He's on a wait list for John Hopkins, but not for a spirit, not for a religious leader. That's fascinating to me, by the way. I still want to talk about that a bit more. Um, but yeah, so he's on a wait list for that for PTSD. And and um, so I think that medically healing is the is the greatest starting point for mushrooms. That's my that's my opinion, though, man. Yeah, and I think I think if anyone you know has an open-minded approach to healing through pharmaceuticals i don't see how you can disparage people using cannabis or psychedelics for healing um i i do understand although i don't necessarily agree with people who want a hard line that says a person can't use those things um for what some people are now calling the betterment of the healthy. So, you know, Miguel, maybe everything in your life from the outside looks looks fine. You know, you're you're a man, you've got a family, you've got a career, you served in the military, you're a Christian. Um let, let's just say your life is 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 reasonable, decent, and happy. Does that mean you can't access these medicines? for your own exploration of consciousness or just to make yourself sleep better. Um, I think that's where a lot of people are starting to maybe draw the line. Like some people will, you know, Christians will say that's okay. Some will say it's not because you're, you know, perturbing your consciousness or you're drunk or you're participating in pharmacia. Um, and we can, we can go into any of that. If, if, if you yeah, like we, we, yeah, absolutely. Because I think that, uh, <laughs> excuse me, I think that it's going that direction. And I think the microdosing concept is, is picking up, picking up. A lot of people are talking about you doing it. And, uh, I mean, I've, I haven't, I've seen <laughs> this past year, I've seen more, more, uh, cafes serving mushroom coffee. <laughs> oh, so yeah. much, and it's not the psilocybin mushroom, but I mean, I'm just kind of like, you just right. can't get away from the concept of mushrooms, whether even in the children's entertainment. You go back to the Smurfs. You go to you go to Sonic the Hedgehog. You go to all these things. Mario Brothers. Yes, <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. It's just like, and then when you said the, um, I see what you're saying when you say, when in terms of social acceptance, right? You're saying eventually, you'd like to see people be able to use it the way people use coffee or nicotine or alcohol, and I understand what you're saying there because I think a lot of people when they think of psychedelics, they think of somebody losing their mind, either in a white room with pads <laughs> or out in the woods. And that is an image that I think, you know, has been mostly influenced by entertainment, I think. And uh, I, I point back to the fact that I agree with you. It's, it's made by the creator and it's here to help us and for well-being. It's not, and I, I get what you're saying. I wasn't trying to say that that's the only application for the mushrooms. Right, right. I just think that that's going to be the starting point for introduction. Mm -hmm. in, in America. And it's already happening. You, you already know it's it's already happening. The and um, because these things do have effect, and they are not for everybody. Just like Zilga, we're not for everybody. <laughs> not for everybody, but they do have. They can have positive effects. And right. Well, I know people who can't drink coffee because it gives them heart arrhythmias. Right. You know, so yeah. 
you know, things like that. I mean, uh, so yeah, I'm sure there are some people who have, I, I, I don't know any personal evidence of this, but I know people who have claimed to have like allergic reactions to cannabis. I'm sure that's quite possible. I mean, I know a woman who said who, who she's a friend of ours. She said she had it. And then uh, uh, cannabis hypermesis syndrome, CHS. Yeah. And then I've also talked with other people about uh, the fact that perhaps it's the pesticides that are being sprayed onto the plant Possibly. that is that is causing some of these or contributing to some of these reactions mm-hmm. and not just the plant itself, because then, you know, allergic reactions are natural, but it is kind of strange. You know, you just don't hear about it with marijuana. And that's what's interesting about it. Now, mushrooms. I've heard some people vomit when they eat them, man. I don't know. What, what, what is that? You know what I'm saying? These are the mm-hmm. kinds of things that people hear and understand. And it's mostly through entertainment. Mm-hmm. And then we get a load of something through something of in our ears and eyes. And then we can go look further into it. So what do you think, man? Some people vomit from eating the mushrooms or no? Hmm. Um, well, I think, you know, some people vomit when they drink orange juice. So I think think what's happening there is, um, mushrooms, I'm no expert, but I'll elaborate a little bit on what I know that they have this, um, you know, mushrooms grow really fast and they almost have these threads that, that are able to stretch. And I think it's called like chitin or something. It's a, it's a, it's a type of, of substance that, that, uh, that they're that's like the fibers they're made of and apparently that is that substance is very hard to digest and so that's why oftentimes when we consume mushrooms <clears throat> excuse me they're usually cooked i'm talking about like gourmet mushrooms yeah. or medicinal mushrooms you would make a tincture or you would boil them in order to extract the you know the beneficial qualities um because in the cooking and heating it breaks down that chitin and makes it more digestible so but if if you're using psilocybin and your goal is to achieve you know uh, a consciousness altering state then if you cook those mushrooms you're going to really degrade the psilocin and the psilocybin so it's going to make them um at least marginally ineffective in, in that goal so so if you eat these raw mushrooms or these dried mushrooms there is a really good chance you could have some digestive discomfort um most people agree that that passes, you know, without, you know, vomiting. But, but I do hear people who use ayahuasca tend to right. vomit a that lot. That is one. That is one. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a book I read. The name of it is escaping me. But uh, the author had a he had a foreword written by and I, I can't I forget what the person's name is on the foreword. But um, it's talking about ayahuasca ceremonies and how. He went through hot and cold sweats and projectile diarrhea and vomiting, projectile vomiting, and then finally to get to that place. And that didn't sound appealing to me <laughs> at all. Sounds like a lot of a lot of work. <laughs> right. It sounds like a lot of pain, man. It sounds like, yeah, it's like, let me get sick on purpose and see what I see. <laughs> but most people that I talk to value that experience I, after, that's what's... after fun because they felt like it was a... Um, it was a manifestation of them kind of like unloading a lot of the garbage inside their, their body and their psyche so that they call it a purging. So it's like, it's almost like getting rid of all the, you know, 
the burdens and the and the, like a literal physical um, a literal physical representation yeah. of that. I, I've never done Alaska, so I don't know. Yeah, but, me neither. Uh, yeah, I'm, no, but that's the way I understand it as well. And and that's a it's a it's it's a fascinating thing. I've talked to a lot of people who've done it, and and uh, it's, I find that one interesting because there's so much that has to be done to put the concoction together. And whereas with with mushrooms or with marijuana, it's it's just you know you grow it, it's grown. Now now vom I mean someone could make the argument vomiting is usually your body's reaction to getting rid of something it doesn't want. Right. So <laughs> that's exactly alcohol or you drink, you eat poison food, like your body is going to go yeah. both directions. Like, let's get this out of here. And so people, I mean, I can see somebody making an argument that uh, that's a sign, man. You don't need this. <laughs> I don't, I don't know because I've, I, and that's just it. And, and I'm not, I'm not making a, a broad brush judgment on it either. I'm right. just saying, I'm just saying what I've read about it too. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, Hey, and, and talked with people and, and uh, it's, it's a, it's interesting stuff. It's interesting stuff. All right, Clint. I'm gonna keep going on the theology theme. How about okay. that? You ready? Let's do it. I'm ready for anything. So, who? Well, you already got the questions, man. I ain't gonna. I ain't gonna. <laughs> when it comes to Jesus Christ, what do you believe about him? That's that. That I'll, I'm glad you asked that question because Christianity is broad and deep, and and the central question to anyone's relationship with Jesus Christ is who is he? So I've heard people make the case that that there was no historical Jesus. Jesus is a is a construct made to personify the psilocybin mushroom, you know, and all. And so I'm not going down that road. Let me see what I got over here. I've got my Book of Common Prayer, like a good Episcopalian. Uh, I'm going to read the Nicene Creed. So the Nicene Creed, well, let me back up. Early in the church, uh, there were a lot, you know, everyone was reading the letters of Paul and the Old Testament and all the other epistles and letters and gospels. And they were trying to, like, answer this question you asked me, you know, who is Jesus Christ and who is he to you? And so they were trying to like make a concise statement that would kind of encapsulate everything the Bible teaches. So these creeds are not scripture, but they are the attempt of Christians throughout history to try to encapsulate our relationship to Jesus Christ and who he is. So if you don't mind, I'll just read that. No, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> and this 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 creed was was created in the fourth century after after Christ. So, or I think around the year three twenty five or so. We believe in one one God, the Father, the Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord. Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate 
from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So that is a concise historical statement of what most Christians throughout history have believed about the person of Jesus Christ. And that probably sounds familiar to anyone. Um, and so I believe what the church throughout history has taught about Jesus and who uh, any of us who have had any exposure to Christianity um, believe about who he is and was. And we can, we can dig into any of that. Um, certain manifestations of the church have taken issue with certain, you know, paragraphs or sentences within that document. But I think on the whole, it kind of a cap encapsulates what the church has believed about Jesus throughout history. You know, what is, when you write, when you, when you think of the Nicene Creed, where do you get the why for what, Je for why Jesus did what he did for us? Good question. <laughs> I'm going to look back at that. That's the only thing about the Nicene Creed that, I, that, that, um, I wish it had said a little bit more about the why he did it for us. Yeah. I guess just it says for our sake no. he was crucified. Yeah, for yeah, our sake. It doesn't really elaborate. Right, yeah. And 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 that's the part, that's the personal relationship part. And uh that's the part that's the part that uh I find that many pastors and and um too many, I should say, not many, but just too many confuse people with they'll they'll tell you that you're saved by grace and then they give you a list of to-dos what <laughs> all right a list of works a list of now you have to perform to maintain this and if you fall out of fellowship well then there's separation and you have to earn your way back in now that's the only thing about the nicene creed that that i wish they would have expanded on is the why he did this for us because that matters that that's a personal relationship it's personal to the core you understand i think you understand what i'm saying it's personal to the core and that's where um christ to me is pure love and mercy and acceptance and when that revelation happens on the inside of a person in their heart, because we can think about it all the time, we can know it, but unless that revelation happens in the heart, you know, 
we can be trying to earn our way or perform our way into favor, acceptance, so that we can be blessed. And the wise is very important because the wise each and every single human being. Now we talk about generations, Gen, Gen Xers, you know, you got the millennials and, you know, around the, the time I remember you couldn't like social media platforms were just making fun of millennials all over the place. And it's just kind of like making them cry babies and, oh, you're a snowflake and all this and that. Now here's the thing. I actually agree that each and every person has intrinsic value everybody's fingerprint is one of a kind. That I don't find to be an accident. I don't find to be a coincidence. I find to be quite profound when you couple it with the Christian scripture that says he put his image on our faces. And then we have an ID on our fingertip that no one else has. It is just far too curious to think that it all happened by accident. So let me ask you this, Clint. Universe and all life in it, you think it's a result of a series of accidents? In other words, actually, you know what? I'm sorry. You know what? I'm getting my questions mixed up, man. I forgot you're already a Christian. <laughs> I went into Sorry about that, man. Hey, that's You're, still a valid question. It is, it is, but I'm gonna change it. It is, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it for the way the I you know, I just hit him. You know, I got the question for you, man. Evolution, creation account, or something else. What do you think? Hmm. And I, I don't I to me it really doesn't matter. I don't care how old somebody says the earth is. If somebody wants to believe, I know there are Christians that believe in evolution. That's fine. I I, I personally don't, but I'm curious to know what, what you believe. Yeah, that's a valid question. Um I don't, I don't know how valid my answer is. So, <laughs> um, I don't, I'm like you, I'm, that's not a hill I'm going to die on. Right. You know, um, for me, I believe the creation account. Now, do I know that it was seven literal 24 hour as we interpret 24 hour days? I don't know. Um, I really do not care. Um, I think whether it is an absolute, historic translation of the an itemized list of how God created everything in seven days maybe uh maybe those that's just maybe God gave us a way for us to understand what he did um either way um I'm very comfortable with the creation story as it's presented to us um you can take it literal you can take it metaphorical um I, th I think it's it's valuable and um, it makes perfect sense to me. I, I I'm a, I believe in the creation account too, and like I said, whether I don't think time I don't think God is subject to time. I mean, He made time. So when it comes to evolution, that's why I'm kind of like, you know, I I get that if somebody wants to believe that God is you know subject to time and He has to wait for things to happen too in order for Him to do something like create a universe. I, you know, that part doesn't make sense to me when it comes to evolution, but the concept of when, when he says light be, yeah, he or, and my belief that that is Christ because he is the light. And in John, he says, John writes, he was with God in the beginning. 
and through all through him all things were made nothing was made that was that was not made it all came through him and um so when it comes to that and uh creation and that's just the funny thing about evolution that that seems to kind of run contrary with an omnipotent god now i'm not saying that timing god doesn't have timing for people and us and our in you know his timing you know you hear god's timing his timing i'm not talking about that i'm just saying in the in the ability to ability and power to create intelligence i didn't i don't think that he's bound by time and had to wait for evolution you know what i'm saying <laughs> absolutely i, I don't even know I I can't go too far down this road because it, it causes a fissure in my brain, but I, I don't know if time is even linear. You know, we tend to think right. like a like a digital clock. Like oh, that's up, that's how we mark it. That's how we I mark woke it. Up at six, an hour went by, now it's seven, an hour. I don't I don't know if God even experiences time like that. I I don't think so. I think I think, I think it's just a construct so we can understand that in this manifestation we're here for a limited amount of time and it, it gives us a sense of of progress or regress i um i think so much of what we experience in our temporal physical reality is just it's just a um like a cartoonish little drawing of something more pure and real that we can't get our heads around so we can only understand the childlike way of understanding it, but it, it's actually like a fractal of like a more foundational archetype in spiritual reality. You said something that caught my attention too, when you said temporal, because that is what this life is, is temporary. It is temporary. Both for us as individuals and like as a whole of like the human experience, I think. Yeah, both. I mean, obviously everybody dies, right? Everybody dies. So it's temporary. And that's the thing that we don't, I think that is the thing that, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that. I'll say, it. I don't want to be too broad in the comment, right? But I think that there are many of us who know it's not temporary, but act like it is. I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I got that backwards. No, it's temporary, but act like it isn't. <laughs> That's what I meant. Know that it's temporary, but act like it isn't. And and it's a it's a funny thing. And uh, I get what you're saying when you said it's like a husk. It's like a cartoonish thing. And I don't think you're devaluing life when you say Not that. I, I think yeah. So I don't I don't think you're taking it that way. I think you're saying that it is temporary, and it's marked by time, and when I heard you say temporary, that's 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 exactly the way I view. I mean, this life is temporary. To think that this is the end all be all, well, it's kind of like, well, you know what? For some people, that existence is hell on earth, and they don't know anything else. And that is interesting to see the concepts of that coming out in across different uh, venues. But when it comes to hell on earth for somebody and, and temporary. And Jesus says, "A bruise." Well, Isaiah wrote, "A bruised reed he will not break, nor will a smoldering wick will he extinguish, until he's brought justice to victory." Justice is needed 
by victory because injustice is happening on this earth. And that's where, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. I don't want to talk about current events, but the fact that a maker was prophesied as being so loving that he said, you know what? Even the down and almost out, like you think you're you're down, bruised reed, he will not break. In other words, that thing's about a dying plant. He's not going to scrap. He's not going to say scrap that when it's not worth it. A smoldering wick, he won't extinguish. The light, you can see the light in that person. Yeah, they look real low. Their life, yeah, you allow people to change because they can. And their maker made us, our maker made us to change. And that part is fascinating. It was just that, just that bruised wick, a bruised reed he will not break, nor a smoldering wick will he extinguish until he's brought justice to victory. So I and I know you understand that. So I know when you say, you know, I think of it like a like a cartoon kind of thing. I know you don't mean it that way. And I don't want the listeners to think of it that way either. That's why I'm saying that again. Because this life is temporary. And and it's a funny thing. I like to look nice. Clint's got a nice hat on. You know, I, I, I we were talking about this. I got him on LinkedIn and and on his LinkedIn photo. He, <laughs> <laughs> don't get mad. You look like look like a like a, like I got this long beard, man. Long beard, long hair, and I and I and I and and then uh, and he's got this waterfall in, in the background. <clears throat> so the waterfall kind of like the lines of the waterfall flow into the lines of the beard and the hair, right? And then we uh, get on this Zoom call and look nothing like that, right? <laughs> got the beard, got the beard, got the beard, shorter hair but a nice cap. And we, when I say all this, because, you know, everybody wants to look good and feel good while we're in this temporary space too. We're not supposed to be in this temporary space eating crap. You know what I mean? It's like, this is, and this is where, this is where Christ is even more amazing because he's yeah. like, you're the head and not the tail. You're not a doormat, but if you start acting arrogantly, you're going to the opposite end of that. They're opposites. Lack of confidence, arrogance. And you can see it expressed in people daily. It's like a civil war sometimes. Yeah, and Christian every, and non-Christian alike. Human, I'm talking human beings, period, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm talking human beings, period. Is that we walk, too many of us walk around like a civil war. We, we think we can go alone, but we need so much. One of, one of my former manifestations as a Christian, I was a Presbyterian for 16 years after growing up and leaving the Baptist church. And uh, we had a confession there. It was called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it was kind of like similar to a creed, but but uh, more elaborate, you know, chapter after chapter of kind of like breaking down all these theological concepts. And I believe that was written in the 17th century, I think. Um but anyway, one of the first questions in the catechism is what is the chief end of man? Or maybe in modern language, what is man's purpose? And the answer to that question is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. One of the things that feels to me like you're getting at is that our experience, albeit temporal and maybe not in its whole true eternal what it will be while we're here there should be a real positive spin on our existence like we should be enjoying god 
Like he and said, sometimes he said, I get annoyed by the the Christian leadership because instead of enjoying God, they're just browbeating you with right. like why you're not good enough all the time. Um, which is something you made reference to earlier when you were talking about the law that we can never really um can't keep live up, live up to. Yeah. Because it's it's not just word and action, it's heart motive and thought. If it enters the heart, it's not good enough. And that is an impossibility for human beings. Heart and mind. It's impossible for those things to cut to not be in the human heart. And which is why it's even and and this is what's funny. And it's not funny. I keep saying funny. It's not funny. It's actually it's kind of funny because it's crazy. It's 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 it's, it's 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 funny because I don't understand how more people cannot see that in the scripture itself. He said, "None of you can keep the law. It's impossible." That's why the prophets talked about me coming. You can't come to me. It's impossible for you to come to me. I came to you because I love you. I made you. I know you. You are known by me. Fingerprint, face, voice. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. A stranger, they will not follow. These things are very profound. And this is where, this is where, um, yeah, you know, when it comes to to pastors and the messages, the personal relationship and the old covenant and the fact that you cannot complete it, I think too many mix that up. And I think it's out of fear. And it's out of fear and out of sometimes for some, it's out of profit. And there are many pastors who are who don't do that. There are many pastors who shun who shun that stuff. You know, they make them they think that they gotta be poor. If they're going to preach the word of God, you know, there, it goes in the opposite direction too. There are people who, there are pastors who are like, nope, me and my family are going to suffer financially because I don't want to be labeled as somebody who might be abusing God's word and his people. It goes both ways. And it's a fascinating world. And we're all here to make a choice for ourselves. No one can make it for us. Influences will want to do just that. Influence our thoughts and beliefs about our maker because we all have thoughts and beliefs about a maker in some sort. I think even atheists do because they're thinking they don't have one. They don't have one. That's the thought and belief about their makers. They don't have one. I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm just saying that is, they think about it too. People think about this all the time and we don't bring it to the surface enough to understand the, the, passages that get from that point to the surface right well it generates a lot of passion you know it's a very foundational belief and so if you share it with someone and they don't and they don't reflect your opinion it can be really um it can really put you at odds and i think i think it's that kind of like saying like don't talk about politics and religion at the family thing you know (laughs) Uh, which is sad like we should be able to have compassionate adult conversations without getting angry at each other over ideas. Now I realize these are really potent and important ideas, but why can't we just share them? And that is something I've noticed you do. Like you interview people who are of various different, you know, walks of life and religious, you know, and they don't seem offended by your questions and you don't seem offended by their answers. So yeah, no, not at all. And that's, what's nice about it. 
is that's what's really nice about it is that uh is that when they when people come on it's 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 I don't, I don't I'm not here to debate you I'm not here to argue with you we're just here to talk and have a conversation and get to know each other and let people in on it as at the same time for public consumption it's kind of a funny concept isn't it well, <laughs> and here you I'll are doing it with psychedelics and Christianity yeah and I think uh you know maybe I don't I don't like to give people prescriptives I don't like to tell anyone they should or should not use psychedelics but I think a lot of our hangups that that we all struggle with i think a lot of people can have some semblance of reconciliation with some of those things in a psychedelic experience um i know that in my youth you know that that first day where my buddy and i walked around the cow pasture and found all the shrooms that afternoon I experienced God in a different way than I had in Sunday school and youth group. It wasn't, it didn't, the experience I had didn't nullify those things. It added to those things. It was like uh, holding a quarter, you know, and you got, if all you ever knew was the George Washington side and you never saw the other side with the Eagle or whatever on it or the state of Connecticut or whatever, you know, it's like you only knew one side of something. And I felt for right or wrong that I felt like that's what the kind of experience I had with God. It was to a large degree ineffable. I can't explain it, but it was like I knew all the words about God. But then the coin was flipped and I felt all the feelings about God. Um, presence. The presence. The That's that's that's. What I, I think of it as presence because, you know, in, in this earth, you know, our emotions are dictated by what we're thinking about, right? It's like we're thinking about something, it's going to generate emotions. And when it comes to those type, because it's a very personal experience when, when you're talking about a revelation of Jesus or whatever somebody wants to say, God, when you're talking about that kind of revelation, I get what you're saying. And, and when it comes to, you know, words fail they cannot describe <laughs> because it is the presence of god and when you look at scripture everybody that came in contact with an angelic being prostrated themselves and was afraid now not every visitation from an angel resulted in this but more times than not the angel said do not be afraid and be afraid they were obviously afraid <laughs> they were right join us in there. so in other words when you look when you think about what that looks like human is freaking out no confidence completely scared because something non-human and powerful they feel the presence of it gary because that's what i'm saying is that you can't describe that presence because you can't not with words that presence puts people back onto the dirt. I think you know what I mean? puts them right yeah. back onto the dirt, puts them right back onto the dirt. And then they say, do not be afraid. That's maybe, fascinating to me. No, that is, that's, that's, that's very equivalent, at least in some regard to like people's psychedelic experience, because it's a potent, oftentimes it's a very potent revelation, usually about yourself, but um, at least sometimes apparent appears to be, 
as though God or some other presence is 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 uh, manifesting to you in some way. And I, for for people who haven't had a psychedelic experience, maybe I can explain the ineffability of it. So, if if you're a parent, like try putting into words the feeling you had when you know whether it was you delivering the child or whether some doctor or nurse delivered the child and they they hand it to you and it's like you saw this new being enter the world and then that new being was placed in your arms like describing that feeling emotionally the the potency and the the awe um the fear you know there's fear there because you're like how am i going to take care of this thing a lot um, of fear it, it can it can it can cripple it cripples some people right that that right. that's what's funny i'm sorry but i had to make that point because yeah. you, that complete amount of joy but eventually at some point in time care and fear of something going wrong presents itself mm-hmm. so similarly in a psychedelic experience you can be overwhelmed by love by fear by a rush of excitement and 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 all at the same time just like holding that newborn baby or i mean i again this is not necessarily make it sound very positive but if you've ever been in a car wreck you know and you kind of almost had that slow motion experience before the impact and like how everything is moving rapidly but you see it in slow motion and there is excitement, fear, and anxiety all mixed together right there. There's a little bit of that too in, in the in the psychedelic experience. Um, so it, it, it's like that inability to really explain it with words. Um, I think people who had those experiences you spoke of where maybe they met an angel in scripture, like they were probably equally overwhelmed with, an ineffable experience. And um, I would like to speak to something, at least broach the topic. There's a lot of discussion right now about including psychedelics in Christian worship experiences. And there has been, there have been books written about whether psychedelics were used by ancient Christians or whether they were incorporated or whether that's good or bad or necessary. Um, I personally do not believe there's enough evidence to conclude that early Christians, at least in mass, that that was a part of the Christian experience intentionally at least in a worship setting or a a mass setting. And I don't believe that it's in any way necessary to complete the human experience, the the Christian experience. Um, There's a lot of buzz going around right now about, um, I guess you could kind of say to the effect that we've all been fooled. um, The wool was pulled over our eyes by these, you know, uh, ancient do-gooders who wanted to snuff out the real Christians, you know, who were tripping balls uh, on Sunday morning or whatever. 
I don't think that's the case. Um, I think there may have been Christian sects throughout history that might have made use of psychedelics during ceremony. I don't know. Um, I think the elements that Christ gave us uh, in the in the original Eucharist, the blood and the wine, the bread and the wine. Uh, I think those are perfectly adequate to um, to serve the needs of the the Christian worship experience and to participate in a communal way with God. That's my own personal belief. Um, but there's a lot of buzz right now. Um, I think with the publishing of Brian Murarescu's book, um, the title escapes me at the moment, uh, the, the Immortality Key, that's what it is. That's what I was thinking of, actually. The one where- I've read that. I've yeah. read that a couple. Well, I've read it once. I've listened to it twice, you know, because I really wanted to, you know, have a, a good understanding of it. And, and uh, that man is a, a, a phenomenal uh, researcher uh, and a brilliant, brilliant man. Um, but if you've read the book, I mean, he doesn't absolutely conclude that that's the way it was. He leads you to believe that that it was. And a lot of people have taken his research as fact. And then, as well, fact. And, and elaborated on it even and said, yeah. oh, this is what happened. You know, secret history, the church covered it up, well, you know, whatever. Um. When it comes great to the book, when great it comes, book, I recommend reading it, if nothing else, just to understand like how difficult it is for a researcher to get um access to like the Vatican archives. Um, so great book. I recommend reading it. I don't buy into the the idea that that somehow psychedelics are essential for experiencing true Christianity or something like that. That's I, just my two cents. I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. And this is why, and I agree with you because then it becomes a talisman, right? Yeah, then right. it's, then it becomes a talisman and it's kind of like, well, what are we actually doing then? Is this, is this personal relationship or is this, I got to go get these keys in order to have the personal relationship. And these are material keys that unlock psychoactive ingredients, right? So that's why I find that to be odd as well. Because it's so easy. It's so easy to abuse. It's just too easy to abuse. I mean, you got people drinking coffee only because they've been told they can't drink alcohol. They can't drink. You can't smoke. And and you got even the Mormons. They don't even drink coffee. I was going to say they're, they're Christians that won't drink right. coffee because it's a stimulant. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And this is where it's kind of like you can't take the human body and sterilize it and just tell them that, okay, yeah food we have ever you know i'm just gonna say food the, the idea of food is very limiting right so it's um i forgot where i was gonna go there clint <laughs> it happens it, it, I know it happens every now and then but um where are we at oh there's because i know where i want to take this man and this is where this is oh yes right you were talking about um are psychedelics how, essential? It sounds it it becomes ritualistic, I think, and that's. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that's kind of funny is that a lot of denominations do have rituals. So if you have denominations that have rituals, and people, that's where I was going with it. Got it back, Clint. <laughs> so you got people going to church where that that are believing that they can't take anything to alter the way they think, except for Tylenol. 
ibuprofen and, you know, pharmaceuticals. And you just maybe, pro, maybe Prozac too, maybe. Well, and that's what's interesting about that's what's interesting about the pharmaceuticals, and that's what's that's what's fascinating about all of this is that is that uh okay, I don't want to get on that one. A lot of people are being misled without being on psychoactive substances religiously, and I'm not just talking about Christianity. I'm talking about all religions, all religions. Because that's what people do when they want to use a religion to abuse people or control them. And this is where this is where it can look like control. Is you add that psychoactive ingredient and make it part of a ritual, I do see that that could have some really uh that could be that's a wide door for abuse. Mm -hmm. And uh and I find it kind of, you know, I just can't I still can't get past the talisman part of it. Now you brought up the communion, and I agree with you. The communion, he said, he is. He said, "I am the true bread that came out of heaven." Moses gave your fathers manna. That's not me. I'm the one who gave that. I am the true bread that came out of heaven, and this is my body. Eat this bread in remembrance, in remembrance of my body. And this is where let me denominations Catholicism I'm thinking of specifically says, no, it actually turns into his flesh in your body. And therefore, we need to protect it. We have to have guardians over it who decide who gets it and who doesn't. And we have our list of to-dos that we know, because if you haven't been to confession and you haven't done the to-dos, well, then you're not getting it. And that, that's, that's, that's a pretty gross, that's a pretty gross man-made barrier between creator and creation and so when it that's the only thing about it when it comes to that you know i I've, i haven't been paying attention to it the way you have when it comes to psychedelics and rich in church ceremonies and services but when i think about it that's what it's just kind of like oh boy you know it's it's it it, it just you know when the literal and figurative meaning of it appear just talisman do this and that that part that part is uh concerning but because a lot of people want to believe a lot of people want to be loved they and want a lot to fit in they want to be accepted by a community you know? exactly right so and this is where you know i had a and we can continue on the path of substances I had a guest, J. Patrick Fiore. He was a 30-year career evangelical, and and uh he was he was uh hit with the problem of alcohol. And I asked him, why do so many denominations tell their congregation that they can't drink? Why do they use water and grape juice instead of wine with communion? And his answer was like, Miguel, it's it it's pretty sad, but they never, they never turned it off from prohibition. In other words, when the government turned it off, organizations, houses of worship had to turn it off as well. When the government turned alcohol back on, many denominations did not. Because Catholics still use wine. They've always used wine. But many denominations did not. And they followed suit throughout one decade after another. And here we are in the new millennia. And some of these concepts of that Paul talks about himself. He's like, you know, do not taste, do not, do not 
do not taste, do not touch. He's like, they appear to have wisdom on the outside, but they don't have any wisdom. And now this is a delicate balance between people who will abuse something and regulations by governing bodies that are designed to protect people. All right. All right. So all these things factor in very layered, but this stuff is in, and, and this, this is why I say when it comes to, to Paul, it's like he said, these things appear to have wisdom in the world, but they don't, they don't do anything for you. They won't right. bring you closer to God. They won't do, they won't bring you closer to God because it kind yeah. of becomes a bit of a performance. Yeah, and he was speaking about uh, meat being offered to sacrifices and things of that right. nature. But you know, he's you could what? you could I don't want to overstep the bounds of scripture, and, and I don't want to say Paul was insinuating things that he wasn't. But you can expand that with wisdom and discernment. I mean, he said, "For me, all things are lawful, but maybe not profitable for others or even for himself." So, um. Maybe there are things that we can and sometimes do use with wisdom and some structure around it that makes it uh, healthy or profitable, but they that may not be for everyone. And you might not need to encourage a less mature brother or sister to engage with things that maybe they're not ready for, or maybe their conscience won't allow them to. So for these, these Christians now that are are religious about their protest about alcohol for them that's a foundational thing and if they were to drink they would feel guilty right um and i think what he's saying is we we can as christians do things hmm I don't want to call something sinful that's not, but if you have a standard that you live uh, by and you consciously violate it and you feel like you did something wrong, in, in some way you did because you you assumed that God didn't want you to do something, but then you did it anyway. And so there's a weird like, even though you didn't violate God's law, you violated your own conscience in regard to God's law. So I don't. Wow. I I'm tracking with you, man. I'm and I, I get what you're saying, and it's a uh, God. Go ahead. I apologize. Go ahead. No, I just I, I so I'm not like I, I have coworkers who are Christians, good good people, and they they are part of groups who who speak authoritatively that the use of alcohol is sinful and outside the church and the ways of Christ. I disagree with them but I'm not going to browbeat them. I'm not going to try to convince them. If they bring the topic up, I will share my own personal views with them on why I don't think that is, is accurate or scriptural, but I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, try to get them to go out drinking or something on Friday night. You know, I don't, I, <laughs> you're I don't not going to, them to you're not going to put it. You're not, you're not going to put a stumbling block in front of them. Exactly. That's, that's what, that's how Jesus describes it. He's like, the world is full of stumbling blocks. But woe to the person who puts one in front of their brother or sister on right. purpose. And that's what you're saying. And it's not. And when he says, when Paul, and I understand what you're saying. He's saying, hey, you know what? Um, I don't like listening to, or I don't like watching 
violent content that's just murder for entertainment. Now, now I'm not talking about combat sports. I watch combat sports. It's violence, right? Now, here's the thing. Football, hockey, both very violent. More socially accepted because of the appearance of pads. But you get a human being running as fast as they can, trying to knock someone out with their whole body. Yeah, that's violence. That's a combat sport. So when it comes to one of the violence I'm talking about is, yeah, let me watch these murder mysteries. Let me watch this stuff about, and I used to watch those stuff. I used to watch the, you know, the, the, no, the documentaries and, you know, I still watch documentaries, but I'm thinking of the, uh, you know, the series, right? Like Game of I, Thrones. You know, a lot of Christians watch that and it's, it's filled with gratuitous violence and, and unhealthy sexual relationships. It, like everybody was so all about, you know, Game of Thrones. I thought, I'll check this out. I think I watched season one and I was just like, this may be okay for y'all. It's not serving me well. It's just, it's called, it's a stumbling block for me. So and, I just and, said, I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to judge anybody else, but I'm not watching it. And this is, and, and this is where it's, it's, it, it, when we want to relax, we want to put something into our mind besides silence. We're going to put something on audio or video or both. We're feeding on it. And you, I know you understand all this stuff, man. I know you understand. We're feeding on that stuff. It's going to enter our thoughts and it's going to represent itself in our thoughts later on. And I can, so there's a time in my life where my wife and I were going to dinner and a movie. Like that was our, we weren't going out clubbing. We weren't partying. We were just, that was our thing. We, that was where we were. And uh, I listened to an interview by a guy named Nassim Taleb. He's an economist. who's also dipped into philosophy now. And uh, I don't agree with everything he says, but, because I think randomness is not so random. You know, he has a book called Fooled by Randomness. And it's like, yeah, maybe not. And then um, then he said that, you know, he's like, I don't watch television. He's like, if information comes to me, it's supposed to come to me. And at that time, I was really feeling unfulfilled with how we were spending our time together. So we chose to not watch television all week long, but just one night a week on a weekend. And when that happened... I've told the story before, but it's fascinating. I realized how much my imagination was chewed up by fictitious stories like what the one you're talking about, by entertainment. My imagination was getting chewed up and consumed by entertainment. Someone else's imagination that they put together for profit off of me. Right? I mean, you think about it. Somebody wants to tell a story, but that story gets advertisers and all that stuff because there's profits that need to be made in order to put that story out for public consumption. And that's when I realized that time, how much time I had been spending in front of these screens on purpose. This is what I want to do, but for some reason, it just didn't seem to settle so well anymore. Now, I'm going to go back to your example when you said Paul and he's saying, hey, if it's if I decided to continue down that path in my life, knowing that it was not the right path for me, I would consider that sinful for me. Would God still love me? Yes, he would. Would he know that I'm making the wrong choice? Yes, he would. Because he's already presented the new path for me, the new direction. And that is to, and that was at that time, to leave that stuff behind. You know, it was great. We actually, uh, 
did a lot of writing. Started writing a memoir. Did a lot of writing, and 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 it was great. It was really good. And then the cell phone got even better. <laughs> Funny, I think I had- sometimes that's like we experience a lot of growth, like when we give something up, and so sometimes well, some, speak- some, something. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just saying this because when I I gave that something up because it was. It wasn't, I'm not thinking of it like Lent or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like that. It was a, it was a, one of those life things where you get, the, you get this impression. There's a pressure. It's like, if we keep going in this direction, I might have a lot of regret. I think I will have a lot of regret if we keep going this way. And if I keep going that way, then I'm actually, I, you can use, I use the word sin because you said, well, I don't want to say you can do something sinful because I don't want to give the wrong impression. But like Paul said, if you know you're supposed to do something, you 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 have purpose and you're not going in that purpose, that's a problem because you have purpose and you have power and you have ability and your maker's giving it all to you. And if you're not believing it, you must not be believing it because you're not moving forward in it. And there and, and there's there's a lot of ways to different couch this, right? Mm-hmm. But that's just one way. And I say I, I use that example for Paul because I think a lot of too many of us, you know, and I've done it with coffee. You know, we do it with all these little things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should really back off this coffee. Mm-hmm. No, nah, I'm gonna keep going. I should really do this less. I should really, really stop eating so much sweets. No, nah, I'm gonna let me go get we do it to ourselves. We do it, mm-hmm. and it's these funny things. And God knows all about it, right? I mean, Jesus knows us inside and out so when that happens it's not a punishment over the head a hit over the head that we're going to get it's going to be our own frustration mm-hmm. we're going to be wondering why the things we want in our life aren't happening because we're believing but we're not changing we're not following Good point we're not following the holy spirit's guidance we think we have it locked down and we know our imagination has a future painted and if it doesn't look like that well then that ain't it and i'm waiting for that Right. And I think God's grace covers some of our ignorance. So a year before that, when you and your wife were just doing the dinner and a movie thing and you didn't feel any conviction about it, I don't think that you were doing anything wrong. But I think I don't think it was wrong for us at that time. Right. I think God called you to something better and you had to make a choice. Right. Do I continue to this? And so oftentimes I intersect with people who in an earlier part of their life, they did use substances, but then they gave those up and they took this massive turn in spiritual growth. And so they view that as those substances were corrupting me and holding me back to which I say, maybe, um, but to, to hitch it all to that is probably not accurate. You know, I think God called you to something higher and you followed. And that is where your spiritual growth came from. I don't think you were, this is a broad strokes. Maybe there are some individuals who are really destructing their bodies and their, their relationships with substances. But for most people, they're using them casually and enjoying them. And then maybe they're called to something different. And they respond in kind. And that's great. Um, But then to look at your brother or sister and say, well, because they occasionally drink that or smoke that or whatever, 
then they're bad like I was. Or there's all this judgment and all those presuppositions that revolve around stigma. Yeah. And, I think and, it's uh, more about the individual and wisdom and context and discernment. But then I have to wonder, am I wavering? Am I just trying to make justification for all this? And so we we all we end up we're gonna end up back where we started. Faith or works. It is and it is a per and it all boils down to a personal relationship. Like I personal said, it's like it's like if, if you know your if you're like, you know what, I have this strong impression. Like I've talked with guests where like, you know what, I just had this strong impression to go see my mom. I had and he and he's a grown man, right? He's in his 40s, 50s. It's like I had a strong impression to go see my mom. And it wasn't because I thought she would die. It was just because I should go see her. There was no fear involved with it, right? It wasn't a, you better go see her because you don't know when she's going to drop dead. It wasn't that kind of a thing. It was just a presence. It was a message, right? It was a go see your mom, a presence that delivers a message. And if you don't do it, you know, did you did you separate yourself from Jesus? No, you did not. You didn't listen though. And the things happen when you listen and things happen when you don't listen. And we all do both. We Jonah. I think Jonah, like, oh yeah, he's yeah. That's that's the major one, man. But <laughs> well, but before were, he was called, there was no reason for him to go to Nineveh. But then when he was called, he was like, uh, no thanks, you know. And so I think maybe that's the position we're in. Like when we have that feeling, man, I better check on my mom. If we say no, not today, we may have to live with those consequences. Should, I mean, we may have to regret that. Somebody might. But yeah, had that's we never saying. had the thought, maybe then we wouldn't then we wouldn't hold ourselves accountable to something we didn't do because we didn't know any better. And it's all personal. And this is where right. Paul said, this is where Paul's saying, don't go to somebody else to sort that out for you. It, you have the source yourself. Sort that out with the source yourself. That's what I'm getting at. It's like Paul's saying, you don't have to go to a third party to commune with your maker. He's already with you. All right, Clint. Hey, man, I'm, we're, I'm running up on this hard time. Time <laughs> too, stop. Bro. So uh, do you want to share anything with listeners about what you got going on for the future, the rest of 2023? Yeah, I just released episode this morning, actually. So if someone wants to check that out, uh, thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com or on all the major platforms, you know, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and such. Um, real quick. You, we never got back to it, and that's fine. Uh, the uh, study, the Johns Hopkins study oh, on yeah. religious leaders. I have interviewed three participants in that. No uh, kidding, that's pretty James cool. James Lindbergh, Hunt Priest, who has an organization that is trying to incorporate psychedelics and Christianity, at least on some level, and um, Roger Joslin, who is also a priest in New York. So anybody can listen to those three episodes, and they'll get some insight into the study and what those people experienced during the study. So I think I'm going to check that out. I find that fascinating. Um, your website you can point people to? Yeah, thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com. It's very mm -hmm. simple. It's just a blog format with all the episodes in chronological order. You know, you go there and check them out. People can contact me. The best way to contact me is email, contact at thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com. Right on, right and on. And I'm on LinkedIn, under Clint Kyles and on Twitter, the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. Are you on Instagram too? Um, not yet. I need to get on there because it's just another means of uh, 
you know, people connecting and that's how I, I connected with you on LinkedIn. Yeah, you know, I know, man, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. This. <laughs> I feel like, uh, isn't there yeah. more to life than me checking their social media feed? Like, that's exactly what I'm thinking, but you know what? It, it's effective for reaching people. And that's just a trade-off. Hey, it brought me and you together here today. Micro, you know? macro, that fractal that gets big, then it gets real small and then it gets big again, you know? <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right, Clint. Thank you very much for your time. I enjoyed talking with you. Same here. Unique individual. I think I'd like to do something with you in the future. It'd be cool. Let's do it. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres and I'm your host. And our special guest is the owner and host of the Psychedelic Christian podcast, Clint Kyles. Thank you all very much. Love you all.